There's an old game. Maybe you've played it. The way it usually goes is you take a piece of paper and draw something on it, and then you fold the paper so the person next to you can't see what you just did, and then they draw something on the blank space next to your drawing, and so on and so on and so on, and so you get to the last person. And then there's a big dramatic reveal where you unfold it and you see what you all managed to come up with. The French surrealists called this exquisite corpse after a saying that they'd invented, which went, the exquisite corpse shall drink the new wine. When Alien Covenant was released in theaters back in 2017, it was nothing short of explosive. Everyone had an opinion on it. And for a lot of us in Alien fandom, Covenant represents a painful time in our community. But why? What is it about this movie that inspires such intense reactions, good and bad? Well, for a lot of fans, Alien Covenant is the embodiment of an exquisite corpse. It's disjunct. It's three, maybe four movies in one. It plays fast and loose with themes that mean a lot to us. Themes like, where did the alien come from? Where did we come from? I mean, what actually belongs in an alien movie? And what has no business in this franchise? Well, legend has it, the Surrealists started playing their game as kind of a joke, like a way to pass the time and make each other laugh. But they quickly found it was a lot more complicated than that. By drawing blindly, they were drawing a sort of collective unconscious, something no one person could come up with, something ungainly and bizarre, but something beautiful in its impossibility. Whether you love Covenant, hate Covenant, or still have no idea what you actually think of it, we can all agree that it presents a lot to talk about, a lot of exquisite viscera to sift through. So join us, friends, as Perfect Organism begins the first chapter in a new ongoing series we're calling Exquisite Corpse, Dissecting Alien Covenant. Welcome aboard the USS Aeronome. To become a member of our crew, please visit perfectorganism.com slash support. As a patron of Perfect Organism, you'll receive exclusive perks and early access to content. Incoming audio transmission received. Please proceed to Subdeck 3 to begin playback. Thank you, and welcome aboard. Allow me then a moment to consider. You seek your creator. I am looking at mine. I will serve you, yet you are human. You will die. I will not. Please hurry, there's something on board, please. Ferris, go again, you're breaking up. Lander one, repeat, I can't. My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my creative partner and co-host. Mr. Patrizio Verde, Patrick Green. Hello. Hi, how you doing? I am so glad to be back on this show. 
You've been gone for a long time. I have been. starting to get messages from people being like, did Jamie leave the show? Yeah, no, he does not leave the show. He just doesn't like to play video games very much. Uh, and he doesn't lo love to read comic books very much. And we've been doing a lot of features on those things lately. So he was getting his move on. As you can see, those of you watching the video, this beautiful new space. Um, and he was like, you guys kind of run with it. Do some stuff. I'll be back. But this officially tonight is being back. And for those of you who are tuning in and noticing that Jamie is in a new space for the first time, <laughs> if you look behind his, for the his sixth beautiful time in the head. Year. <laughs> you, have, you moved a shitload. If you look behind his head, uh, you'll notice some uh, beautiful photographs of Sigourney Weaver from Alien 3. Those are the publicity stills that I also have a copy of uh, the, uh, from the Entertainment Weekly shoot that she did. Yeah. And uh, those are, yeah, those are great photos. And but I yeah, it's good to see you again. You too. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be, we're kind of back where it all started, really. Like when I first met Patrick, it was because of an audio drama that I was casting and then we started talking, and he started telling me how much he loved Covenant. I told him how much I didn't like it, and I said, why don't you come on the show? He's like, okay. And uh, here we are, over four years later. Yeah, it has been over four years. I was listening to some of that early episode today. I was listening to as much as I as I could, um, given the audio quality, which hasn't held up super well on that episode. But the content, was, the content was great, and the conversation was great, and it's funny because you can, it's, it's not only the sound of two alien fans, you know, discovering how much they love talking to each other. It's the sound of two friends who are now like inseparably close to one another, mm -hmm. discovering that in real time. It's a cool moment to capture, you know, on, uh, not on film, but on digital media. Absolutely. Yeah. And those were back in, that was back in the, the what were we using? Skype? Like, nobody uses Skype anymore. <laughs> it was Skype, Skype. audio <laughs> with no headphones on, yeah, so there was yeah. an echo of my oh voice my out God. the entire time. Yeah. And it had the intro that was – the intro and outro bumpers are so funny because they're so, – those are like the initial ones that you made in like really? 2015. Oh, maybe. And yeah. it's just yeah. – I had forgotten about them, but I remember them from when I used to listen to the show before I was on it. So, hearing that again, I was like, oh, my God, I, I remember what this was like. It was so long ago. And it was right after – the head administrator, owner of the Wayland Utani Bulletin, Bill Robbie, had come on the show, and him and I just bashed Covenant for two hours. It was great fun. <laughs> and yeah. you are you you were even more on defense because of it. And I was raging. I was angry. Half of over half of fandom was angry. Um, but yeah, that was a that was. It's again. It feels like it was last year to me. Like that's how it doesn't feel that long ago to me. That it was doesn't the same feel like four year, years ago. That was the same year 2049 came out. And that feels like yesterday. That was over four fucking years ago. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. I should clarify something. You're right. Over half of fandom was angry. I, I would say probably 90% <laughs> of fandom was angry. I wouldn't angry, say that but, much. But, well, but here's the thing is I think we were all angry because I was angry too. I think we were all angry for different reasons. Mm -hmm. And I think that that to me is the key to discussing this film. That to me is the key – to where this sits within fandom and what it represents to us. Because not to say that everybody was angry at the movie existing. I don't think that's the case at all. I think a lot of people were. I think what happened was the infighting and the toxicity and the personal attacks that started happening to people. Things were out of control. And fandom was an angry place, a fundamentally angry place. For the only time in my entire life as an Alien fan, it was like it felt 
not dangerous, but it felt strange. It felt mm-hmm. different. And we had, you know, we had, uh, of course, eventually, you know, we started our own, um, you know, Facebook group uh, to try to be a haven from some of Building that stuff. Worlds. Mm-hmm. Building Better Worlds, which you can still join today, and you should, if you're not already there. Um, but it was like everybody was fighting and everybody was impassioned and everybody was kind of losing their minds. Mm-hmm. And that is interesting because it's a window, I think, into this exquisite corpse that we're going to be talking about on this brand new series that we're kicking off tonight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think part of that, too, part of the anger wasn't just to your point at Covenant. It was just like, can't we have something? Can't we have something that unites people? Can't we have a movie that unites fandom and brings us together? And Covenant wasn't the movie. Um, if anything, Covenant, yeah, it just did, did way different things than Prometheus did, but it have, have impacted the fan base in a way that I hadn't seen before. Like, it's like taking a piece of paper and tearing it in half or tearing it asunder. Like, Alien Covenant tore fandom asunder. And and it just piled on top of movie after movie, starting essentially with Alien 3, where people were like, no, I don't like this movie. And then you had Alien Resurrection, and then you had Prometheus, and then people were like, threw their hands up and they're, you know. And so it was like just throwing wood on the fire. And I get it. I get it. I mean, I was angry. I, I, I'll never forget leaving the theater just enraged. I was just enraged leaving covenant as i was leaving that piece of shit star wars movie called the last jedi patrick <laughs> <laughs> i think you mean the rise of skywalker oh yeah, yeah you're right <laughs> the, the, the last the last jedi is a movie that I, I do want to also bring up tonight because it speaks to something in covenant that i think i think i have some more ideas of why people's buttons were pushed mm-hmm. so much with this movie and i think it's similar in some ways to the reasons why the last jedi pushed people's buttons and similar in other ways to the reasons why other transitional chapters and things push buttons. And we're going to get to that tonight. But before we get to any of that, before we, you know, go back to the very beginning and everything, I thought maybe it'd be cool to start off because of course, again, this is we're we're deliberately hearkening back to the first time I was ever on the show, mm-hmm. which as Jamie said in the beginning, was basically an extended two hour long debate about Covenant, right? It would be cool to revisit that for a moment. Now, talking about how the movie sits with us with Jamie and Patrick today in 2021 having had it for a few years and having had all the subsequent things happen in other media in fandom and other franchises that we love where does covenant sit with us today mm-hmm. i have some ideas you have some ideas you want to go first well covenant for me as you very well know was a, an, an ongoing discussion where i i started with rage i started with being angry with being let down to essentially throwing the baby out with the bathwater to then having a discussion with you and then a series of discussions and then discussions that happened over the course of over four years. And so then the last time I watched Covenant, which was a few months ago, I remember what started it was someone was talking about, I was like, I need to watch that movie again. It kind of excited me. Like, I I want to watch this movie again. I'm excited. And I'd never been excited before about watching Covenant. Like, people would talk about it. Like, for instance, Prometheus isn't a movie. People can talk about Prometheus, but it will never excite me to watch. I'll never think, oh, I got to put that on. Whereas with Covenant, there's enough in it now that inspire me, that that feels like alien, that I can put it in and see those things and be inspired and excited by them. Um, and that was not a place that I was at probably up until mid-2018. Um so, yeah, 
And now I can watch it. I mean, it's not like I haven't watched an alien film in a while um, just because I've taken a break. Usually I, I typically watch an alien film every other week. It will often be Alien 3. Um, but Covenant has, is the film that's on my mind the most. And I think part of that is it's the film that hasn't that, that doesn't have an end. There's not a third film. There might be a third film. We don't really know. There's a, a Hulu series coming out. So Covenant is that last question mark. So it's on my mind all the time. Like, well, where is this going to go? What are they going to do? How do they finish the story? I have my own ideas. But again, to bring it back to those first discussions when I'm really, when I was really upset about it uh, and you were really excited about it. And I feel like, we reached this, it's like those charts, those pie charts where, you know, where we're, we've reached this middle. We've reached the this Venn diagram. Yeah. yeah was, the circles eventually coming together. Yeah. Yeah. And there's many things that I really love about it um, that I could talk about right now. Um, and I'm sure those things will come up. But I, I can honestly say of the prequels, it's the better film. It's not the better looking film. It's the, it's, it's the better written film. It's the better, it feels more engaging. The, the characters are a little bit more palatable, at least for the first hour. Um, it's, it's just, they threw a little bit more effort into it. But at the same time, I also feel like they regressed. They took uh, a, a chapter from The Force Awakens and they said, let's do that. And I think that hurt the film. So as it's always been for the past few years for me, it's a complicated discussion. Yeah, it is a very complicated discussion. And I think you are absolutely right about that Venn diagram idea that we've, we haven't switched places on this movie at all. I still love Covenant. I, it's still one of my favorite alien films. It's still one of my favorite movies. I can throw it on and enjoy it. But while I'm doing that, I'm much more aware of things that it does that I have issues with than I've ever been before. We didn't watch it for about a year or so. There was like about a year gap in there. And we just watched it again about two months ago. And both Micah and I were like, wow, they're really... There's a lot of problems with this movie that I think we were kind of blinded by. I especially, because the things that it did that I liked, I was just so in love with and so enraptured by that I could have excused almost anything. And you even hear me on that on that initial episode doing that. I'm already kind of hedging my language a little bit by saying like, yeah, the characters aren't great, but like maybe we don't need to worry about characters too much, right? You are right in that regard. The characters in Covenant have not held up. And they've, they are not as cringeworthy as the characters in Prometheus, but they are really problematic. I mean, they're genuinely problematically written characters to me. The character of Orem, for example, a character that comes up a lot in this conversation, right? He's problematic because he's unqualified and because he's sort of an idiot and because he's fundamentally annoying. The problem, though, is that he's also annoying to watch, right? A lot of the time when you have characters on screen who are, uh, you know, not fit for the job, at least like they're fun to watch be unfit for the job. Orm is just like an unfun character to watch up and from the very beginning of the movie up until a chestburster comes out of him, right? You compare him with the equivalent character in Aliens, Gorman, right? Somebody else who should never have been in charge, but is and is unqualified and not apt for it, right? I mean, Gorman has this wonderful, very slow redemptive arc that spans almost the whole movie to get to where it needs to go. You know, Gorman is never annoying, even though he's frustrating, right? Even though you know he's, he's He's like an idiot 
you are kind of rooting for him to figure it out. A character like Orem and Covenant, you just want him to die. You're just like, please just stop. Like, I don't want to hear any more dialogue from him. Um, and there are many characters like that in Covenant. And that is a problem, I think. That's a real screenwriting issue and a real acting issue. I, I don't want to get into like all everything right now, but I, just while I'm talking about it, you know, you watch Alien. And there is this naturalism to the performances that we talk about a lot on this show, right? Like the characters are, they are mumbling, they're talking over one another, they're, they're very unaware of having a camera in front of them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to the point where it seems almost like it's filmed rehearsal footage. It's like they're just sort of chatting, you know, drinking their beer and hanging out. In Covenant, as in so many other movies being produced in the last 15, 20 years, there is such a performative aspect mm-hmm. to the way dialogue is delivered. Mm-hmm. There's such a, I'm going to hit my mark, I'm going to turn, I'm going to get the light right on my cheekbones, and I'm going to say a line, you know? There's this re- real sense of, like, people who know they're on a, in a movie, and they're trying to act like that. Prometheus, to me, is a worse example of that, where it's like, it is, it is just laughably bad. Covenant, though, even in Covenant, the dialogue scenes, even people like Danny McBride, who's just this wonderful actor, and he's so funny and charismatic, even he feels like he's performing, like he's like hamming it up for shots. And that's a problem, and it hurts the rewatchability for me of the movie. So characters, I think, are a problem. They always have been, but I was kind of excusing it in the past as something that I could see past. And now when I watch Covenant, I'm distracted by that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the things that I loved in those early screenings of Covenant, you know, I saw it, I don't even remember, nine or ten times or something in theaters, if, if not more than that. <laughs> a lot of the things that kept me coming back over and over again, they mean more to me now than they did then. This focus on the accelerant, on the black goo as being this like vector to a much larger narrative, I think is just so exciting. And I love how it's popping up in other media. And we'll talk about that, you know, later. Um, this increased this, this discussion on artificial intelligence, which was one of the things that you and I had argued a lot about. And I'm curious if that's changed all for you. And, and the first time when I was on the show, that was something where you were saying, you know, it's inexcusable. It's not alien. You don't Star talk Trek. about. Yeah. Right. And I felt then, and I feel more now that it actually is to me at the heart of Alien, and it's something that's really important. And I love how Covenant deals with that and gives Michael Fassbender this wonderful palette to play with, with these two characters who show very different sides of this thing and show very different, you know, holding a mirror up to human nature aspects that science fiction can have for the people creating it. So there are thematic things that mean more to me now than ever before that I want to talk about tonight, but that's in a nutshell. The movie is at once more problematic than it ever was and more meaningful than it ever was for me. That's interesting. That's interesting you say that. I I try to look at Covenant now and actually I feel like this conversation also brings along Prometheus with it, with it because it, there's this zeitgeist of alien fandom and in it, what you see certain things happening all the time in terms of posting, in terms of what people are talking about. Typically, they're referencing characters or they're referencing the beast. The only characters that are ever referenced from the se- the prequel, the prequels, is David. It's Shaw and David. Uh, Shaw sometimes. I mean, it's so rare, though. It's so rare. And if anything, someone might post a photo of Shaw but think it's kind of a cool photo. No one references Shaw like she's a good character because she isn't. And I think, again, if you can see what's successful in fandom, what what Alien is known for when when Alien is working, 
in terms of fandom, everyone is referencing a character like Hudson, like Hicks, like obviously Ripley, like Bishop. Um, there's this tenu, there's this uh, connective tissue between us as fans experiencing these films and these characters that feel like family to us. Nowhere except for David, and David has looked more like. People don't talk about David like, oh, he's a relatable character or he's really cool. They find him fascinating and terrifying, much like the creature itself. This blonde, kind of Aryan, very handsome man that represents corporate greed, that represents uh, AI gone wrong. Everything that's, in some way, in his own way, he is as scary as the creature is. And oftentimes... When Alien is working, the creature is representative of the darkest parts of man. That's what that creature is. That creature represents the darkest part of Wayland yutani So within fandom, you know something is successful in large part because of the characters. I've been talking about this since, I, since I've been grown. I've been talking about characters with you since we've known each other. Like character, character, character. That's what these stories are about. There's one sequence in Covenant that I think is some of the best alien I've ever seen. And I've talked, I haven't talked about this in a while, but it features Ferris and Orem's wife. I can't remember her name right now. Carmen Ajogo as uh, Catherine Orem. Okay. It's, yeah. Um, that whole sequence when they're in that dropship or whatever that, that ship is. And uh, it's not Catherine. Sorry. It's, it's Karen. Karen. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, Korean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or it's ironic because she's black, you know. Um, but those sequences, the way Amy Simons, Simons, is that how you say her last name? Mm -hmm. The way Amy Simons portrays that character, the way she's reacting, the way she's taking off her gloves, the way she's communicating, calling the ship, it feels as real as anything I've seen in the first film. I am like gripped. I am in it. I am like, holy shit. What's happening? She doesn't play it performatively. She plays it real. Uh, Carmen Ajo Ajogo plays it real as well. And I'm just in it. And the backbursting scene is absolutely terrifying. It is probably, for me, more terrifying than the original Alien. Maybe just because it's newer and also maybe because it's just different. And also we had seen the original chest bursting scene ad infinitum by that time. So it was something that was really... Really, really, really great. Um, that scene to me lives on in infamy. It is, I will hold that up next to some of the best scenes in Aliens, some of the best scene in, scenes in Alien, for sure. Um, and, and there are some other things that I really enjoy, but in large part, that's it. Like once Ferris is dead, I, you just start losing me, you know, and there are things that are happening as well. Like I think that the spore, the spore vehicle of the of the creature, you know, going into the air. I think that that's fantastic. Um, I think that the the throat burster is horrifying and disgusting and amazing. Um, and it it happens in the the long grass, so you can't people can't quite understand what's happening with him. They think they think he's sick. They don't really. They're not really sure what's going on. There's an alien loose. A ship has just exploded. It's just firing on all cylinders. And I'm able to forgive some of the repeats that we're seeing from the 
from the original Alien, because it's in some ways beat for beat a repeat of what we've seen it before. They take a page, a page out of The Force Awakens, and they say, let's just kind of redo this. Let's kind of give him a Ripley. Let's kind of do this. Let's set him back on a planet. Let's have a distress call, blah, 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 blah. But it's working so well, and it's so gripping that I'm completely forgiving it. And that's kind of where I'm at. Up until David walks in, I'm in. I am in like Flynn. Like it is, it is just amazing. And that's where I, not that I stop because there's some great sequences like the, the, the discussion between Walter and David, I think is fascinating. I don't, I don't know if it necessarily works for an alien film still, but I, to your point, I do think it's gripping material. I just don't know what they end up being in terms of what, what is the story? Ridley Scott saying with these with these characters, it's interesting, it's fascinating, it's well done, but what what's this really about? And I I can't answer that question. So, as we said earlier, this is a complicated discussion. It is a, it's an exquisite corpse. I'm going to keep dropping that. that yeah. Again, that was Christian deserves credit for that because he was bringing up that uh, parlor game. is the return of body horror to Alien, which I think is so important mm-hmm. and produced some of the most most compelling horror elements in any Alien film ever, like you were saying, right up there on par with the original film. So there's also this idea of the corpse and dissecting this exquisite corpse that I think, you know, will be fun to kind of dive into. Um, but to go back to what you're saying, so to me, like, let me talk a little bit about why the David Walter stuff works for me as an Alien story, okay? So I think... The seeds of the original movie, you have Ash, who's this really compelling villain, right? Really great character. Ian Holm does a legendary job with him. But he essentially works out to be just a horror set piece, right? Like, he exists, obviously, from a storytelling standpoint, to bring the company on board the ship, etc., to execute Special Order 937. But from a movie standpoint, you know, he exists for the moment where Parker knocks his head off and goes, he's a robot, he's a goddamn robot, Mm -hmm. right? In that moment, a number of things are made clear to us as viewers. One is that everybody existing in that year, in that place, know that robots are a thing, right? That at that point, it is just part of the fabric of of operating life. And indeed, 17 years earlier in Covenant, that's already the case, right? There are already synthetics all over the place, right? And you have some models like the Walters and the Ashes who are basically indistinguishable from people, right? And, and can pass as a human, right? But then you also, given expanded media stuff that's come out after that, you have, for example, the Seeks and Synthetics robots, which look like garbage and are basically just, you know, ways to, you know, maneuver cargo and enforce bureaucracy in space, right? Mm -hmm. So you have this whole paradigm of androids and this whole architecture to their society and into ways in which that technology integrates with our society. And in the first film, you just see this tiny little glimpse of it. And then in the second movie, of course, with Bishop, you get this whole other flavor 
to, you know, how there's the hyperdyne versus there's the, you know, these new models that are really nuanced. And you get this whole idea that, you know, there are, that they can be heroic, that they go above their Asimovian programming into doing things that might even be kind of like free will. I mean, there are things that Bishop does in that movie that I think to all of us feel like it's not because he's programmed to, you know, that, that he's doing what it takes because he's like a good person, right? It feels like that almost while you're watching it. Um, synthetics to me have always been at the heart of this franchise and have always been tapped into, but not allowed to really be sort of brought into the fold the way that the creature has been or the way that the company has been. They've always been sort of set dressing or side characters that have a lot of cool depth to them, but aren't really explored. What I love about these new movies is that Ridley Scott and the screenwriters allow this question of, you know, where does this come from? Why do we create these things in the first place? Is it really just about having help on a spaceship or is it about, you know, finding something else about ourselves, right? You have that early conversation between David and his creator, right? When they're talking in the, in the parlor of Wayland's room and it's, and it's this very haunting back and forth about creation and who made whom and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, on the nose, uh, yes, yes. Sure, it's on the nose, but it's also, I mean, the first time you're watching the movie, like, that, to me, that didn't hit me as being on the nose at all, because I was like, I mean, for one thing, it's beautifully shot. It starts, you know, this. you're watching an alien movie, and all of a sudden, you're in the stark right, white room, you know, on Earth. So, I'm kind of taken out of my element for a minute watching that, and then I and I get to see the sentience come to life, and it's mm-hmm. the first model that was ever made. So, so, to me, I think it's significant that the first question that that model asks – for one thing, it's significant that it asks a question in the first place because it wasn't supposed to, right? This was supposed to be a yes and no, go get me the tea, go do this, go do that. But before it even does that, it looks up and it asks him this very profound question, right? And you can see in Waylon's eyes immediately this this idea of like, oh, shit, what did I – what did I – what did I unleash, right? There's this notion that in Alien, the accelerant, the black goo, is emblematic of this thing we do to ourselves where we will always reach for the forbidden fruit and it will always bite back. Mm -hmm. And synthetics to me very much fit with that, which is that, you know, we always think we can control everything. We think we can make the universe bend to our will, but the universe is more complex than we realize and things will always backfire. And because of this one faulty programming in this David model, you have these horrifying events unfolding throughout the movie. And you have these wonderful opportunities to talk about what creation actually means, right? What it means to create versus to be created. What it means to be the Pinocchio wanting to be the real boy. Like, you know, earlier when you were showing me the Pinocchio uh, marionette in the back. Like, that to me speaks to why the story is important. And I think it feels just like you said, very alien because David is in many ways the creature. He's this perfect imperfection that was created, you know, just as the aliens, you know, may or may not have been created by the engineers as this tool, as this, you know, method of enforcement or something that actually destroys the civilization, right? The aliens wiped out the engineers, if you look at it like that, just as I think if you were to extrapolate from the events in this and the fact that now David at the end of Covenant is in control of this, you know, colonist spaceship could spell the downfall of humanity as well. And indeed, in the moment that we leave him at the end of the movie, like he is in control of like the vessel that's supposed to save mankind and is about to unleash hell on it. So he could be what the accelerant was to the engineers. He could be the end of them, you mm-hmm. know? And I also think that the AI, David or Walter or Bishop or or Ash or Call for all intents and purposes, 
they they can be a cipher. They can be a cipher for humanity. Uh, they're a cipher for all that's good in us, and they can be a cipher for what isn't good in us, which is corporations, the greed of corporations. Ash was very much representative of corporations overlooking humanity so that they can corner corner the market on something that will make them money or will give them more power. And Ash really represented that. And that's terrifying. It's terrifying when humans don't act humanely. And Ash embodies that. And I think David embodies that too, in a way where it's, but David's a little bit different where he's, he malfunctions and he goes off into his own like crazy demigod. I am God now. I can do whatever I want to. And you see it all over him when they meet him. Like he's not, there's something not quite right about him. And for, and like Ash, David is a little bit of a, more than a little bit. He is the alien amongst them. And they're put at ease a little bit. Because he looks like Walter, he's the same model, so they're at ease, and you know, which goes to one of the things in Prometheus, which I thought was profound. One of the he's like, uh, I think David says, "They make me look like you, so you can be more comfortable." And right, and I thought that was actually that was a great line in in a movie where you have mostly shitty lines, um, but I think that they are effective. I think David and then eventually Walter are the most interesting characters in these films, which is a little bit of a, and it's a little, well, it's not just a little bit. It's a big switch for the alien series to go from humans being the most interesting to actually, no, these synthetics are the most interesting characters. And really back to the point of like what fandom latches onto, not really Walter, but it's certainly David just being fascinated by him. What's his purpose? What is he doing? Did he create the alien or did he not? I, I think that, argument has been essentially settled. Um, but I do think that as we even discuss this now, I think you're right. I think that there's, um, it, it, it's fitting. The, the conversation between Walter and David is fitting in an alien film. I think that conversation in that scene is thrown into a film where things are already murky, where you're, there's some things that are already not making sense. And so then you throw this really great scene and this film and it's like, wow, that was great. But then the following scene isn't great or the scene before it wasn't great either. So it's hard to contextualize everything in a way that makes it like, oh, that was, you know what I mean? So we're like, oh, that was great until 57 minutes and 37 seconds. You know what I mean? And I think Mm -hmm. that's part of the difficulty with certainly covenant. Prometheus doesn't have this issue because most of that movie is bad. Um, even though it's beautiful, even though it's got many worthy things in it, but covenant is a different conversation because there are, there is so much, there's so much more good in this film, but it starts and it stops. Right. Right. Yeah. I agree with you. The, the, the connective tissue in covenant is where a lot of the problems happen. And that's something where on the, as we go through the series, I hope we can find out more reasons why, like I would really love to find out why it does feel like a number of different movies put into a blender and then assembled into one thing. I want to find out why uh, why they didn't have more of a cohesive tone through it. I, I mean, to me, the, the tone of Covenant up until the end is basically pure horror. It's this Lovecraftian quest into darkness that does not pay off and is very, very scary. And then it becomes this semi-action movie 
sort of in the end where it's kind of like a greatest hits of the alien franchise, you know, where you get the chest burst or you get the, you know, xenomorph or protomorph or whatever it is. And you get the, you know, the fourth act surprise on the spaceship and you get, you know, running through the hallways with, you know, for all intents and purposes, pulse rifles. Um, that final bit of the movie, I think, remains to this day the most problematic for me, and I think for you too. That that's something where I I I don't skip it when we watch it because it's it's just fun to watch happen. But I basically in my mind stop the movie before you know after the lander sequence when they're back up on the ship. I'm like, okay, that's the end. And then you know David is just there, and then I can skip to the final you know minutes while the you know God's Entrance of Valhalla is playing in the which background, which is amazing, which is a great yeah, scene, which is great, right? Yeah. But there's this weird thing in the middle there where it just feels clearly like the studio was shoehorning a story in which brings me to something else that I want to say which is that when I first and this is something you were just talking about when I first watched the movie it never even occurred to me that there would be people watching it who would think David created the alien as we get it two decades or so later aboard the Nostromo right because to me that was clearly never the case there's a bas relief on the wall in Prometheus that contradicts that yeah, you know, David is clearly working from schematics that the engineers had left behind. He's using engineer, you know, programming to figure out how to do it. And then, of course, most tellingly of all, everything about the alien that we see in Covenant is so different. Not only is it not biomechanical and looks very different, but the chestburster is very different. The way it acts is very different. It's way more animalistic and way stupider. It's not cunning. It's not quiet. It's aggressive. It seems almost like it has like the Neomorph's adrenaline cycle running through it. So it's really, really angry all the time. And it's really great to watch, you know, but it's, I mean, it has those insectoid hind legs. It's just, it's a different animal to me. It seems like an animal that would be created by a faulty robot copying notes that he can't quite read, who's been alone on a planet for 10 years and trying to make something with his time and is obsessed with creating just like his creator was, right? Mm -hmm. To me, that was always the case. And it never occurred to me until the movie came out and people were upset that there are people watching this movie thinking that this is Ridley Scott and the filmmakers saying, the alien that we see as the big chap is the result of David's work, that he's the, the one who created it originally. So I will say this, that if that is actually what they're trying to say with this movie and we get a third prequel that doubles down on that idea, then Covenant will be maybe my least favorite movie of all time. If the answers that we get from this are that, oh yeah, everything, this entire ancient universe, this is something Christian was saying very eloquently in our episode of Philip, if it turns out that this entire universe is basically the age you get a driver's license at as a human, you know, then that is a huge problem for me. Because to me, Alien has always been about the ineffable mysteries at the heart of the universe, mm -hmm. that this cycle of birth and death and destruction goes back eons and eons. And that before the engineers, there were others who discovered this accelerant. There were others who were experimenting and creating something that killed them, right? That there were others creating their own shadows and the shadows ate them for millions and millions of years. And that David is just the last, the latest in the line. And that there's this extra element of interest to it and that he was a robot that we created who then created this thing that could kill us right so like so to me that's that's the reality and again if it turns out to not be the case if it turns out that 20th century fox and the filmmakers were actually saying this entire universe is 15 or 16 or 17 years old then uh then i will be the most vehement opponent of covenant you will ever find but the reason why I've never been that is because I think it's very clear, especially considering the people who made Prometheus are many of the same people who made Covenant, and Prometheus tells us that, that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. It's pretty clear to me that that's not what actually they're trying to say, mm -hmm. thankfully. Yeah. Well, to uh, a point that you were making slash asking, like, why do 
these certain scenes feel disconnected. Now, am I don't know for sure um, in terms of what happened, but there is empirical evidence in terms of story ideas and how Prometheus was made and the stories they came up with um, and Ridley Scott's input. And I'm going to repeat myself again, because what I do know as fact in terms of how producers and studios approach certainly IP big, I mean, Alien's kind of a tentpole, but it isn't, but it's always wanted to be. So they always, they always approach it as this like idea, like let's do an alien film, hoping to make the money aliens made. Oftentimes, and this is a problem we've discussed with Neil Blomkamp, and we're going we're gonna to get into his films probably next year, or his films, his unmade alien film next year, uh, sort of moment by moment. But oftentimes, and Ridley, this is Ridley Scott, I know to be true, these artists approach these, oh, I would like to make another movie about this. This is the idea that I have. Oh, well, what about a scene like this? Oh, that's an interesting scene. Yeah, yeah, let's let's work on this. Oh, and then, oh, I have a, this would be a great thing here too. This is a great scene. Oh, I really like that image. Maybe we could incorporate that image. That is oftentimes how movies are made. And sometimes it really works. Most times it does not. And I think what's been so problematic and so frustrating about certainly Prometheus, but also Covenant is it's clear that there were some great ideas, but they couldn't figure out how to connect it to the next thing. And so what they did is they pivoted back to tried and true formula. Let's do what alien did. So let, let's that connect it. Oh, but then we're going to do this, but let's pivot back to alien. And that's why these films don't feel cohesive. Um, before I continue, I just also think it's important to state that what we love should also be able to face criticism. If what we are passionate about, we should also be able to take in criticism and not take it personally. And I think that's one of the great things about our relationship as friends and our chemistry as creative partners is that we came to, we were at this point for probably the first year where it was hard for us to talk about stuff because our emotions were so tied into whether yeah. it was feeling betrayed by Ridley Scott or empowered by Ridley Scott. And it felt personal. Yeah. I think fandom gets better when you can not be defensive over every fucking thing and say, you know what? Let's talk about this. I might not agree, but I see your point. I, I think What's frustrating about the prequels, certainly Covenant, is that there is so much good in Covenant, littered with so much bad, littered with so much shit, littered with so much laziness. Um, but they are also films that weren't created the same way the original trilogy was created. They weren't created with people who are like, I have the story. I've been working on it for a few years. I'd love to tell the story. That's the way Alien was made. That's the way Aliens was made. That's the way Alien 3 was made. Of course, it was adapted, but it was someone who had an idea for a story. Prometheus and Alien Covenant were not made that way. Yes, John Spates had a script, but he just didn't write an Alien script off on his own and he submitted it. They said to him, we're thinking about Alien. So he went and he wrote a script based on conversations and and based on ideas. That's why these films don't feel cohesive and as enjoyable because these are films based on a series of ideas and set pieces and not like we have a story to tell and we have gripping characters to tell the story. And I'm going to stand behind that. Like 
And I know that there are people who love Prometheus and there are people who love Alien Covenant. And I think that is great. The film needs its defenders for sure. Um, but I also think that there's things that we can enjoy and not enjoy and have difficult complex conversations without being defensive, without being mean to people who don't see it our way. And I think that's the great thing about our, again, our connection as friends and partners and co-hosts and the fandom that we're belong, we belong to, because we can talk about it without getting red faced, without being, without being really angry or belligerent about it. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful to be over four years later at this point with you where we're re-engaging this, this discussion. took uh, every single word personally that you just said. I want you to, I'm very angry right now. No, it's great. There, there has never been a topic that has gotten us or our listeners as angry as these conversations about Alien Covenant. It really, and, and I have to say, it, it's a really refreshing feeling tonight. And I knew, I knew it would be, which is part of why I was looking forward to this series so much, that we have really kind of separated our egos and our personal selves from this movie enough to be able to have like a real legitimate conversation where there's no no like anger and, and animosity coming, which is something that we have always done to varying degrees. But I, I do think we struggled with early on. Oh, for sure. The, the third revisiting or second revisiting Covenant episode we did, which is like three years ago, the last time we did a full episode on Covenant, mm-hmm. um, I was so angry that I shut down. And I never do that. I was so I angry that I shut down. And we had a conversation about if it was like, if we should keep it on the episode. And I was like, yeah, I want people to hear, you know, how passionate I was uh, for and, and how much I let it get a get the better of myself. Because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. important to to hear that. And then, of course, on the air, I apologize and I talked my way through it. Uh, and then I got fucking death threats, which please don't do that again. <laughs> if you're listening to this, just fucking don't, okay? We all have complicated opinions on things. You don't need to threaten me if you disagree with what I'm saying. Um, but likewise, I don't, I don't think that's going to, please don't let it happen. I don't think that's going to happen again <laughs> because I do feel like people can have real conversations about it, which is, which is great. I want to go back to something you were saying about cohesion, because this is a good point and something that I do hope we get some perspective on in the course of this series. So, you know, you had the original film was O'Bannon's baby. That was his idea. That was something he was nursing into fruition. His roommate was Ron Chassette. Ron had great ideas. He helped hone some things. But basically, that was the story, right? And then the producers, of course, you know, helped get it made and they made some constructive feedback and became, you know, which is how anytime a movie is made, that's going to happen. You're never, even with, you know, big auteur, you know, Ari Aster kind of movies, like people are going to provide input and they're going to change the story a little bit. And then you have Aliens, which really just is James Cameron's thing. Like his mm-hmm. force of will brought that into being, right? Of course, others helped the story and others inputted, but it was his thing. Alien 3, though, Jamie, I do have to push back on you a little bit with that because I don't – see, what's what's funny with Alien 3 is that there were many people who did what you were talking about, which was they had a cohesive vision they out a that story. they worked on so yeah. much. But it, but they all they all like had these, these divergent passionate stories to tell – that got obliterated into one another and Agreed. resulted in the Frankenstein Agreed. thing that we got, right? So so that that is kind of in its own thing, but there's a lot of passion at the heart of it. Subsequent to that, though, 
you know, resurrection. I don't. We don't have to talk about resurrection. Subsequent no, to that, you have <laughs> you have Prometheus, which similarly was. It's time to revisit the series. What do you got, right? And then you have Covenant, which was actually, in some ways, I think a worse creative process than Prometheus because it, then it was like, okay, Prometheus made more money than we thought it was going to make. That was actually a successful movie. So let's not – no, it did. It made, it made money at the box office. 126 million domestic and it made, I think, like 325 325- – yeah, it's Which, a profitable movie. I mean, somewhat. it's not a fucking blockbuster, but it's a it, that that for for a, a relatively like you said a relatively niche sci-fi mm-hmm. movie that mm-hmm. is a a genuinely good outing at the box office. Rated R, you know, kind of esoteric film. It did a good job. So Covenant, you know, Ridley wanted to make something to span that hundred year gap between the movies. He was like, this this could be the way to do that, you know. And then again, he was like, what do you got to people? You know, it was unclear if he was going to direct or not. And it will go through all of this on the series. Again, this is deliberately a very subjective sort of just Jamie and I revisiting our opinions episode. We're going to go deeper into the history of it. But the the basic genesis of this thing, right, was that you had a script by Jack Paglin, the guy that did Transcendence. And then that script was sent out to Michael Green, who we know very well from our Blade Runner show and, and from other things. And hopefully he'll come on at some point, who then did his own treatment to it. Dante Harper got it. John Logan got it. And who worked with Scott on Gladiator. And then eventually we get the final shooting script, which again was cobbled together from all of these different things. John Logan, I think, deserves a lot of credit for the things in it that I love, right? His commitment from the very beginning, because he was a huge fan of the original movie, was to make it feel more like the original movie, to make it really scary, to get a lot of the horror into it. And I'm really grateful for that. But uh, anybody who's read Alan Dean Foster's novel, which again, it's cool, you know, we're recording this in September and we start, he was one of the first guests we had this year, which I think was really, really cool. But the Covenant novelization was based on earlier versions of the script and you see a lot of divergences from the final story in it. And I think they're really cool and also shows you how much the story was changing because Alan was writing this book using what was – supposedly the final script at the time and then as he was writing it like huge story beats changed throughout and you know that just goes to show you that they were changing it quite a lot as it was happening so i think that's something that we're going to see of course 20th century fox as it was at the time needs to make money right it's accountable to to you know its financiers it wants to do well so it wants to have has a commercial interest in the movie having a broad appeal Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that with Prometheus, I don't see that at all. With Prometheus, I see them saying, Ridley Scott, you are an acclaimed genius. Everybody knows it. Here's some yes, money. Yes, yes, Make yes, the yes, movie. yes, 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 yes. With yeah. Covenant, yeah. with Covenant, though, you see the studio going, mm-mm-mm, uh, we need a xenomorph in this thing. You're yeah. going to find a way to get it in there. And Scott going, and Scott, I think, justifiably being angry about it, right? The thing is, is that – and, and I, I, I'm sure I brought this up in that first episode, but I can't remember at this point. The Neomorph, I think, is just about as great a design as Alien has had outside mm-hmm. the original Alien. It's beautiful. Right? It is beautiful. It is it's so terrifying. scary. Yeah. People talk about it all the time. There's tons of artwork about it. It is frightening and really unsettling. Even just watching the behind – like I mentioned in our text thread, you know, I was watching the behind-the-scenes features with the kids tonight, and we were all like just, you know, looking so closely at the Neomorph and thinking how freaky it looked, right, with that strange kind of beluga-shaped head and the extendable jaws and the pale skin. It's just a really scary thing. Also, like the fact that when it's embryonic, when it, when it first comes out, it's already so dangerous and it's just growing visibly and you're watching it mutate. I mean, it is a fucking great movie monster. So they did not need to get the alien XX121 as we know it in the movie. Again, 
I don't think that's what we're seeing. I think we're seeing this prototype version of it that's all fucked up because David didn't do his job right. But people, here's the, I had a revelation today, Jamie, when I was thinking about Ooh. what we we're going to talk about tonight. I had a revelation. I realized that I represent and you represent probably one one hundredth or so of the people who actually saw this movie when it was in theaters. By that, I mean people whose lives partially revolve around the Alien franchise, like who surround themselves with Alien friends, who are authorities on parts of, you know, the culture around Alien and, you know, who are playing the games and reading the books and having conversations, getting tattoos and getting artwork and talking to people every single day of our lives who are involved in Alien. We are people who are, you know, watching this very closely and watching everything with this whole instant recall to all the other canon repercussions that would happen if certain things were made. But that's not who watched this movie by and large, right? Of course, we all came out and saw it. But most people saw it because they wanted to go catch a movie and they had their AMC subscription and they were like, well, okay, you know, I liked Alien or like, you know, Aliens was great. It had, you know, smart guns in it. Like, I bet, you know, let's go check it out. It's kind of like Star Wars, but scary. Like, you know, come on, guys, let's go do it. You know, most people saw it because they just wanted to go see a scary sci-fi movie. And those people did not walk away saying that Alien in the end is clearly a prototype you know, David is clearly not where these came from. Those people are not saying, you know, at one hour and 38 minutes in Prometheus, there's a bow relief on the wall with a clearly outlined, you know, xenomorph head on it that looks like the deacon at the end of the movie. Those people are not watching it thinking that. Mm -hmm. So for basically everybody who saw this movie, because it was transitional and we don't have an answer to it yet, they all, I think, came away saying David created the alien that was on the Nostromo. And that's a huge deal because that means that for most popular culture reasons, those people who are taking into account the prequels in the first place, when they watch Alien now, they're thinking, oh, David did that, which again, I, I think if that's the case is, is a tragedy. So that's something that just – it just hit me today. I haven't even considered it yet that most people aren't watching it with that like crazy critical eye that we mm -hmm. have as mm -hmm. alien fans. You know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And what we might find enjoyable or un not enjoyable is very different than, you know, a group of friends who are 30 or 25 or in their 20s. Yeah, I know Alien. Let's go see it. Ripley, right? Yeah. You know, and they go sit down. And then there were who, who've seen Prometheus, probably disappointed like most people were with Prometheus, but seeing the trailers for Covenant thinking this is going to be a little bit of a reset. And also, Alien Covenant is a reset film. I just want to – I do want to mention one thing that our friend Stephen Gray mentioned. Um, and he said people had a harder time with – Covenant because it was a bridge movie. Full stop, no way. People didn't have a hard time with it because it was a bridge movie. People had a hard time with it because it wasn't well written. End of story. And there are great things in Covenant, as you and I will continue to discuss and explore and, you know, find material on and but it it's all over the place. It is all over the place thematically in terms of characters doing one thing and then doing another. Um, even like little minutia, like for instance, and this always bugs me. The, the guy who plays the backburster guy, I think the actor's name is Brigby. I can't remember his Rig last Rigby, name. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ben Rigby. Rigby, Rigby. I said Brigby, but that's his IG name. Cause I follow him. Um, Br Brigby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he, uh, um, goes with Karen to explore some bog or some 
algae or something, and she's a scientist, and she wants to know. Right. During that time, he says, I got to go and go to the bathroom. So he goes to the bathroom. What does he do at that moment? He smokes, and he flicks his cigarette on the ground, and it's kind of a, what the fuck? Also, someone like that would never be hired for an expedition or an away team or a mission. They would not. They would go through rigorous training. They would go through medical medical examinations and they would see oh hey your lungs affected by something do you smoke and even if they lied about it they would say actually you do smoke and we can see right here and here and here and that was one of the the small things a writing thing it was like and it's one of the things that people go why are they so stupid why are these characters so stupid and i'm at this place now where there isn't it's a wall for me like there is no comparing the, the characters of the original trilogy, Alien 3 included, to the characters of the prequels. There is not, well, everyone makes stupid decisions. No fucking way. The characters in the prequels are awful characters. But they don't, they're not all as bad. They're better in Covenant than they are in Prometheus. Much of it is performative. Much of it is, look, camera, wink, wink. Line that sounds similar to another line we've heard, wink, wink. Oh, you know, like turning, like you were saying, the light's hitting you. And that's part of the big problem with the disconnect. It's not that a lot of people don't think that there's not great ideas in the in Covenant or Prometheus. Everyone agrees upon that. Everyone does. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of great things in it. The problem is the vehicle by which those ideas are being iterated are f- really faulty. And they're not just faulty like, you know, because even the best characters like Ripley, she's flawed. We know Ripley's flawed. That's what makes her good. But she's not stupid. None of the decisions that she's making are stupid. Now, maybe she, you know, like there's times when Hicks is like pulling her back. Like, no, we got to go. We got to do this. We got to do this. We have to think of a better way. We got to think of a new way to do it. And Ripley, she eventually acquiesces to that because that's what people do. You get angry. You get scared. And things fire in your brain and you have to be pulled back by someone. Those are normal things that really smart characters go through, um, that s- smart characters that are written well go through. None of the characters, certainly in Prometheus and mostly in Covenant, ever have that. They don't. They're not. They're just awful. And for me, being a character person, the ideas aren't enough for me to be like, oh, I can just roll my eyes at stupidity and the ideas are, are carrying me through. Um, there's a lot of great ideas. There's a lot of great ref- references and minutia in Covenant. Those ideas aren't enough to make the film successful. They're just not. But what is in there that's great are phenomenal. Um but I, and I think because this is our entryway into discussing this film again, we're going to talk about all of it. We're going to investigate all of it. Uh, I, I do think David is fascinating. Uh, I think Walter, I love Walter. I think he's fascinating. I would love to see him as again as a character. I don't know if he's gone for good. I don't know. Who knows? We don't, we don't even know what's happening. We don't know. If, um, there is. Rumor that Ridley Scott is actually right now working on an, an alien prequel. I don't know what story that's going to be, but I'm I'm ready for it. Yeah. Uh, first off, I want to remind people that the only you know I do a lot of shitty impressions on this show. I've been known to do you know Bishop, for example, really poorly. He sounds like he's on The Sopranos. Um, I do a pretty good Walter. I feel like <laughs> I fucking do. nailed it. Right. Be a right. Stranger. 
That's great. Uh, so I'm hoping to whip out the Walter impression as we go through this. Uh, so let me let me go back to something, uh, a couple things you said. First off, I want to bookmark this idea of transitional things that Stephen Gray was talking about, because I do think there's more to that that you might be skipping over than you realize. But I will get back to that in a minute. Before I do, I want to go – I'm holding my head so that I remember what, what I had to oh, talk about. So hang on. <laughs> so I'm taking this personally. So Ledward. Okay. You were talking about Benjamin Rigby's character. Rigby. Yep. Smoking. So – I don't have a problem with that at all because he is a member of the security team, right? He's not one of the scientists who's here. He's specifically separate. Like he and Cole are just sort of hired muscle that are just there who are not, you know, scientists. They're not there to seed the planet with new life. They're there basically just to carry the guns around. So it's, so him like smoking wouldn't be a big deal to me. I mean, the character is an alien. They're all fucking chain smoking the entire time. I know that they are truckers in space, but likewise, these are, you know, policemen in space. These mm-hmm. are also sort of mm-hmm. blue collar okay. people in space. Okay. So to me, that's kind of okay. how I justify it. I will also say, okay. you know, I'm talking about Alan Dean Foster's novel, which again, read it. It's really good people. In the novel, there's a whole explanation for why the security detail works the way it does and why some of the characters are, are as stupid as they appear to be. Not saying smoking – people who smoke are stupid, although it's a stupid thing to do, but whatever. True, but, you know. true. Um, yeah, so so quit. You heard it here on Perfect Organism. Stop it. Uh, <laughs> just stop, stop smoking. <laughs> um, but regardless, the uh, you know in the, so in the novel, Lope, who's the head of security, is deliberately hiring security staff who are – less than qualified because he is pulling this power play where he doesn't want anybody to challenge his authority. Kind of unnecessary exposition. I can see why it was cut from the movie. Part of me feels like some of that survived at the movie because the security staff does seem kind of incapable and clearly are making, you know, they're the reason why the spores get unleashed in the first place. So there could be something to that, but it's not in the movie. And like many other things in this movie, there's a lot of things that are just never explained that probably should have been. Whereas an alien you know, Ridley Scott famously said about Alien, there's no characterization in it because you're not going to care about characterization the second the alien is on board. The point of the movie is to give you characters that you don't need to worry about their characterizations for, that the actors can inhabit and give you a lot of, you know, humanity. And then the alien comes and everything just switches and then all the gears are turned up and blah, blah, blah. That, that was his philosophy with characterization for the first movie. With Covenant, um, it's weird because there's also not a lot of characterization unless you watch the crossing or the, you know, the things that were put out in, you know, February of 2017 that show you more of the things and then get put in the special features of the Blu-ray. Um, but it feels like we need it. It feels like a lot of the characters in Covenant are just kind of needlessly stupid or they're just kind of needlessly frustrating or they're just sort of needlessly uninformed, right? Yeah. But I, I think to that, honestly, I don't think too many are. I think the one that matters is. Orem, the yeah. big scene of him, you know, finding the dead body of the of the throwaway female character who got her head Rosenthal. chopped off. Yeah. yeah. And he's, you know, David then protects the creature. And then the next moment he's following David down to a dark basement with eggs. Right. That, right. and that is. It's stupid. It's, it's stupid. stupid. And, and I that's think, something that I used to defend. And yeah, I agree with yeah. you. It's stupid. But yeah. I think what happens is in those scenes, you have moments where you. People are like, okay, 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 sure, sure, right, sure, and then there's a big moment that you're like, fuck off, and it 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 then ruins other things that people were were giving pa- a pass to, um, and it's like a domino effect. So one thing where you're overlooking and you're overlooking because it's compelling, and 
There are many, we've talked about this many times. There are things that we over, that we overlook, like for instance, aliens. We've talked about this before. Aliens in, is in many ways a beat by beat repeat of alien in some specific areas, but we look over it because it's amazing and the characters are amazing. The acting is amazing. The story is compelling. Um, alien covenant did not have that benefit. So one domino tripped us up here. Another domino trip trips us up here. And then all of a sudden we're looking at a blade of grass. Like, why is there a blade of grass here? Fuck is that blade? You know what I mean? So we're looking at things we wouldn't look at if the movie was holding up. For instance, that scene, Wheat, who planted it, performative, overly acted, ridiculous. Um, I don't have a problem with that on its face because the movie is very we're very early in the movie it's very gripping if the movie would have went into other places or if it would have succeeded the ending essentially if it would have landed that ending i wouldn't i might laugh at that moment but i wouldn't look at it and think this is just stupid thing number 2200 in this movie you know what i mean and i, I think that's the problem with films that are Written by committee, as our friend uh, George Martinez said, you know, or I think it was Steve Douglas said, you know, most films are written by committee, which I agree with. I don't think all of them are. But I think a great, um, a great analogy or a great comparison is Alien 3, this final shooting script by Alien 3, which was rewritten by Walter Hill for the film. And then, of course, they were rewriting it as the film was shooting. And we know all that as well. Um the characters in the setting in Alien 3 feel authentic. I believe what I'm seeing. And it makes sense that some of the convicts are a little bit, not dumb, but they're just a little bit like like um, Morse. Not Morse, but um, what's the guy who gets the blood all over his face? What's his name? Oh, my God. I can't think of his name right now. Pretty girl. Are you married? Yeah, with the dragon. Oh. What the fuck is his name? Oh, oh I can't God. remember his name right now. Um, um and there are characters in Alien 3 that are seem a little dumb. But we're also yeah. in a prison. Um, oftentimes, a lot of uneducated people are in prison. Um, that's just kind of how, how it happens. Most of the people, you know. So the setting makes sense that they really don't know what they're doing. And they're in, in a cage in the dark with this beast. And they're running around. Like chickens with their head cuts off because that's exactly what's happening. So it makes sense. But n at no point in Alien 3 do I feel like this is not authentic. These people are stupid. The setting is ridiculous. I oh, I buy it. The only thing I don't buy are the effects. Go ahead. It's Gallic. Gallic. Yeah. He's Sorry. crazy. He's a fool, that, but he's not a liar. He's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's one of the characters me. in that whole movie. And I think one of the one of the few things in the assembly cut that I like more than theatrical is his extended airtime, which we need to revisit at some point. Yeah, we, we will we, next we, year. We need more Alien Three. We need content. to go I know. over the, going, the, the yeah. assembly cut next year. We need to have a whole discussion about that. I know. We have never even know. covered We that. should get Charles on to yeah. talk about it. Hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm not going to talk this. Hang on. I got to go back. <laughs> so so Steve, Stephen Gray was talking earlier about the transitional aspect of it. And that's something that I have brought up quite a bit in this movie too. I want to take you – I want to take everybody back for a moment. So let's say that this is the early the – early, the, early, the early 1980s <laughs> and you have Empire Strikes Back coming out, right? Empire Strikes Back – unanimously regarded one of the great sci-fi films ever made. Jamie and I adore it. I have a poster of it behind my head. It's one, I mean, I have a fucking tattoo from it. It is one of my favorite movies ever. Great film. It ends with the most charismatic beloved character, Frozen, 
literally because his contract hadn't been renewed yet, and they weren't sure if Han Solo was going to be in the next movie, so they just had to get, find a way to freeze him off, right? It ends with that. It ends with the protagonist of this entire thing, this hero to generations of children on the world, being directly related to the villain of the entire thing, breaking everyone's heart, also getting his hand chopped off. It's a very traumatic place to be in, and it makes the movie, which also although it does it in a much more tactful way, goes all over the place. I mean, Empire Strikes Back is it can be a confusing movie to watch for me sometimes because it goes to so many different planets and there's just so much going on and so many different things happening. It's a complicated movie where a lot of things are in transition. And that's kind of the point of transitional movies between first and third installments of things is to throw things up in the air a little bit, right? You're introducing conflict. You're introducing uncertainty. You're taking elements from the first movie and turning them on their head so that you get some sort of a new resolution with the third movie. Covenant might not have intentionally been doing that, although I think it did in some ways. I think Covenant suffers somewhat from being an abandoned transitional installment in mm -hmm. something that is deliberately opening a lot of questions yep. up and leaving us wondering what the fuck is going to happen next, yep. right? But if it, again, if it were a movie that were more tightly constructed that had fewer issues with it, I think we wouldn't even really be thinking about that. But I do think that if it were if, – if Empire Strikes Back had just come out – and we had no announcement of Return of the Jedi yet, although everybody in the world knew Return of the Jedi was coming because this was a juggernaut that had blown every box office record ever. But pretend we didn't know that, right? Or pretend, for example, we didn't know Endgame was coming after Infinity War. You and I both love Infinity War. I know you're tired of Marvel movies, but Infinity War, I think, is a, a great film. Uh, Endgame's my in favorite. In your opinion as well. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, okay, good. But you liked Infinity War too, right? I did. I did. Yeah. I th actually, so, no, I think re reverse. I'm sorry. Infinity War, I like it, the loss. I can, I can right, identify more I with thought, the loss. Right. Yes, yes. Sorry. That's what we talked about, right. So if what we had was the planet being basically decimated, we had half of all life missing, we had all of these beloved heroes gone, and we didn't know that we were going to get resolution to it, people would watch Infinity War and think that was the most fucked up movie I've ever seen in my entire life. What were they thinking, right? There is something to be said for the importance of having transitional installments of yes. things, because without yes. them, we don't get any variety, right? I do think some of why Covenant is this exquisite corpse, some of why it feels like this mess is unintentional because it's got some writing issues. I do think some of it is intentional because they're setting us up for a third prequel film, which may or may not happen. And I think with Star Wars, they were able to, yes, they didn't, they had contractual issues with Harrison Ford, so they weren't really sure or whatever, but there was enough of an arc there to know where we were going to go. At least the filmmakers knew. Now, the script had to be written, but they knew this is kind of what, we're, what, what we want to do and where we want to go. Um, with the prequels, they didn't have any clue. And then it was this 180 degree turn. Let's call it alien and let's change let's change directions. And also, we haven't even discussed this, which we will. Um, I know we're, we've been talking for about an hour and a half, so we should probably wrap soon. The the bonus materials, or not even bonus materials, the prologue scene. There's two of them. There's the one with the crew. Well, I can't remember the name of what it's, it's called. It's a crossing. Right? The there's crossing. There's crossing. There's then, Advent. Advent. And then there's that third one with, with Shaw. Right. So 
all which I can't of the, think of the name of. Um, I thought that that was called The Crossing with Shaw. Is that The Crossing? Yes. Oh, Last Supper. Last the Supper. Last Supper. Yes. Right. Yeah. Sorry. So, yeah. All of those are fucking amazing. They're character building. They're rich. You get to know that doesn't seem as performative. It feels more organic. All of that material should have been in Covenant. It was not. So it set us up. Well, it was, and it was no. cut from it because yeah, the original uh, yeah. cut of the movie was almost two hours because and 40 Ridley minutes. Because Ridley Scott was like, no, yeah. no, pacing. We're, it's too... It's too long. Cut it. Cut it. Cut it. Right. You can feel it. We're nothing. He used to. He used to be more of a patient filmmaker, and he's not anymore. He's just. He's so worried about timing and budget. Well, you see, you say but, that, but here's the thing, though. Well, go, yeah, finish your point. No, I was just going to say, and we've discussed this a little bit before, but Covenant was really set up as a as a character study. All of those those three Advent, the Crossing, and the Last Supper set us up to think. Whoa, they've listened. This is about character. They're really, they're really introducing us to all these people. And then they give us a movie that doesn't reflect that at all. And to its detriment, not everybody saw those, those short films. And most of yeah. the people who are going to watch those things are the super fans anyways. So it did a disservice to the film ultimately because it wasn't. Some of those should have been included. And then there's a lack of resolution for Shaw because by the end of Prometheus, Shaw is actually interesting. Shaw has lost a lot. Shaw then feels less shallow and less misperfect. And she's lost Holloway. She's lost everything. She seems more authentic as a person. I liked her at the end of the film. All of that was sort of addressed. And even on the ship with David, there's this closeness. There's this... This this palpable connection that she has with David that's beautiful that no one sees. I mean, yes, some of us have seen those movies or those. Yeah, short but again, films. it's like the one out of a hundred that we're talking. It is. Like, it is yeah, not, it's the one out of a hundred, and, and and we are not the ones paying for this fucking box office, yep. right? Yep. Like most people won't have the benefit of that. But here's the thing, though, Jamie. Unless you have more to say no, about that, no, are you done with that? So. So, so Ridley Scott, like I said earlier, when he made Alien, said characterization won't matter because by the time the conflict is introduced, you know nobody's going to be worried about that. For one thing, I, I do disagree with him on that point. I think that that's fair enough. For sure. But I also think – but the difference is that Alien does not have like any expositional characterization yes, in it. Absolutely. It has tons of world building and it has tons of personal characterizations where you can tell by the affectations that people have and what they were or what they're wearing, whether it be Brett's hat or, you know, Dallas's jacket. You can tell by all the little things and the ways that they conduct themselves, interpersonal dynamics, the ways that they address the, you know, gender norms of the time or whatever there may or may not be. Those little interactions that they have give you a lot of character, right? Mm-hmm. What's fascinating and shitty about Covenant is that in the absence of all of those characterizations that we see in The Last Supper, that we see in the in the personal diaries that they also put out, right? When the absence of that, there's like no characters in Covenant mm-hmm. other than just this sort of outward shell of a character, mm-hmm. except for the moments where things fall apart. And that's why I know as we come to a close tonight – uh, I think the moments that work best for us are the moments of conflict and the moments of fear in Covenant, because they are the moments where characterization becomes secondary, where you become, as a viewer, more atavistic. You become, as a viewer, more kind of lizard brain. You become tuned into something that exists past notions of this character is annoying or this character is great, and more in terms of 
almost like that's me on that ship right now, or what is what does this remind me of? That whole unfolding sequence that we keep talking about with the backburster, the reason why that's so effective, and there's tons of reasons, and we I, we should probably dedicate an entire episode just to that sequence on the show. It's because it is a true sense of actual unraveling, and that's something that nobody captures in movies properly, right? How many disaster movies have there been, whether it be about the Boston Marathon bombing, whether it be about 9-11, whether it be a war film? It's so rare that you get a real sense of the fog of war setting in and making everything confusing and frightening in a way that, I mean, Saving Private Ryan does it, Black Hawk Down does it. Covenant is not a war movie, but the reason why I'm talking in terms of war movies is that that's kind of like, or, you know, movies about disasters is because those are the kinds of movies where you have a sense of everything is falling apart and there's no way to keep up with it. And what do you do when that happens? Those scenes where Dallas and Ferris are trying to talk to each other and they can't because of the atmospheric static and the storms. Tennessee and Ferris. Sorry. You know, there's reasons why they slipped right there. Um, those, those moments are really fraught for me. They're really hard to listen to, yes. right? The way that that mission starts to unravel, the way that, you know, as both of the infected are being brought back, things are just happening so quickly. I mean, that's also when Jed Kurzel's music shines the most, when it feels the least reliant on the score for the first film. Yep. That's also when the filmmaking feels like it is just beat for beat perfection. It is like Ridley Scott as a 42 year old again, making Alien, doing just incredible clockwork filmmaking, ratcheting tension up in a way that feels amazing. And that's something that I said in that first episode. And that's something I stand by more than anything else is that for the only time in my entire life, I got to have that experience in theaters. I got to get a taste of what it was like in 79 in the movie theaters because like many of our listeners, you know, I was born well after the first movie came out. The first movie that I could have feasibly seen in theaters was Alien 3, but I was seven years old at the time, so I'm not going to get to do that, right? So Resurrection comes out, and of course I saw that a few times, but I was still a little kid when that was out, and it was not, you know, I couldn't, it, it, it was a nostalgia trip for me because it reminded me of my toys and the things that I loved as a kid, but you know, as a movie, it didn't imprint on me and it never felt like alien whatsoever. And even now when I watch it, you know, it doesn't feel like an alien movie. And then what did we get? We got AVP, which for me felt like a tragedy, although I've come to like it more as the years have gone on, but it was just not alien at all. It's a better then movie you had, than Prometheus. Anyways. <laughs> and so, and so there's definitely arguments to be made for it. And then you have AVP Requiem come out, which was just the the most atrocious thing I have ever seen in a movie theater and remains to this day the single biggest upsetting thing I've ever seen with an alien name attached to it. And then you had Prometheus come out, which by that point, you know, so that was 2012. So I was 27 when it came out and I was like an adult. I was ready to watch an alien movie and to be really taken away by it. And I wasn't and I didn't connect with it. And it felt like it was just not an alien movie to me. It felt like I, I hated the characters. I had all these issues with it. And like all of my hopes had been riding on this thing being the one that got me back in theaters in 1979. And it wasn't. And then Covenant comes out, and it was. Covenant comes out, and within 45 minutes, I have the biggest fucking smile on my face, and I have my hands creeping up over 
my eyes. And I am like fucking afraid and exhilarated and in love with filmmaking. And I'm thinking this is what Alien is when it's the best. Because for me and for many of our listeners and maybe for you, science fiction and horror are my two favorite genres. They're the two things that speak to me the most profoundly. They're the two things that whether it be collecting skulls in the woods as a kid or whether it be reading Isaac Asimov as a teenager or whether it be, you know, devouring 80s horror movies on VHS bargain bins, you know, as a young adult or whether it be doing Blade Runner podcast with you. Science fiction and horror to me are the two things that make me who I am Mm -hmm. as a movie fan. Mm -hmm. And I had been missing that for my whole fucking life until I saw Covenant and then I found it again. And even though it was fleeting and even though it was clouded by all of this other stuff that's so problematic, that still feels problematic. When I watch Covenant, I still get that sense of being in theaters in 1979 a little bit. And that to me, that experience of going there and seeing it in person and being enraptured by it, that experience of going back with other groups of friends, with my wife, uh, it for me was extremely important. And so that's why I, I don't want people listening to this to think that I've just turned my back on Covenant because I haven't. I can see it more clearly for what it is now, I think, than I could back then because I was blinded by love a little bit. But I do still to this day feel very passionately about it because it was, to me, an authentic alien experience. And those are so hard to come by. And 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 in closing, I I think the odd an odd coincidence here is that for me, Alien Resurrection was that I was young, I was barely in my twenties, just barely. I missed Alien Three in the theaters. Alien Resurrection comes out obviously with Sigourney Weaver. It's the first time I'm going to go see it. I'm seeing Sigourney Weaver in an Alien film, her last Alien film, and I saw it seven times in the theater, and it. Revived things in me. It, I'd grown up with the first three films and then I could see my space mom again, a different iteration of her. And I kept going back and I kept going back and I kept trying to find reasons to go back. And I did. And it revived something in me that not that was dead, but it just kept the passion in me for this series alive. And then, you know, a year goes by, it leaves the theaters. I realize this movie's garbage. It's not good. And I'm trying to convince myself Covenant isn't that. Covenant is not resurrection, obviously. But it's doing something similar for me that Covenant did for you, where it's reigniting something in you. And you're like, here I am. Here I am in a theater watching an alien film with Sigourney Weaver. Like, this is never going to happen again. And it didn't. Um, So I, I hear what you're saying. And I think, yeah, it's... It's complicated, isn't it? It's 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 interesting. It's so complicated, and I'm, this is going to be such a fun series. It is. This is something, I'm so excited to talk about this more. Me too. I want to learn more about it. I want to hear more about where other people are sitting with it now. I feel so just personally. I feel like I'm taking this huge deep breath right now because I don't feel like I have to defend mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. because I don't want to anymore. I mm-hmm. just want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know. And, and I, and I just, I, I caution, you know, not caution, but it just, for everybody out there listening to it, you know, continue to find moments like this to engage with this content, whether you like it or you don't, 
with your fellow fans because there might be others out there for whom this was also a really powerful experience, but maybe they're having a hard time articulating that. Um, or maybe the, the reasons why it was so upsetting to you are reasons that they should know about. You know, we should be sharing this stuff with each other. We shouldn't be building walls up. It's okay to love something and have problems with it. It's okay to dislike something. It's okay to hate something and find things to love about it. It's also okay if none of those things appeal to you and you just want to listen. But remember, it's just as important to listen as it is to talk. Yeah. And it's just as important to be open as it is to be closed. Yeah. So find opportunities with each other as this series goes on to, you know, engage and to be humane and to reconnect with something that covenant and all the controversy around it kind of fucked up for us for a while. Let's take this as an opportunity to rebuild those bridges and come to get a fuller understanding of something that I think a lot of us have been unafraid, have been sort of afraid of understanding fully for a long time. Yeah. And a, a criticism of a movie that you might love is not a personal slight. And I think that's something to remember. And it's, I really feel like Covenant was the film that reset fandom in some ways, even though it was, it tore fandom asunder. It, we got to this place, at least in the circles that we run in, where people, where we were like, no, let's not be that. Let's not be the Star Wars fandom. Let's talk about this and let's talk about our criticisms of this film in a way where we're not being offended at that. And both you and I both were that way where I was offended that you loved something that I thought was stupid. You know, um, I don't think it's stupid anymore. I, obviously, we think it, we both have issues with it. But let's, to your point, I hope it continues being this this tool for us to come together and to learn learn about each other, essentially. Amen, my friend. All right. Thank we you guys. Love you for guys. Let's do this shit. Yes. Thank you guys for watching and listening. This is the first episode of our series, which will take us probably through the beginning of next year. We'll see. There's a lot to discuss. If you're not a Patreon supporter, you can support us at perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Start at $4 a month. All the money that you give to us goes back to the show. We're thinking about a live event next year for the 30th anniversary of Alien 3. We have a lot in store, stuff we're working on right now for next year. It's going to be a great year. Um, aside from that, I think that's about it. Thank you guys. I think that is about it. Bye everybody. All right. Bye. For more on Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please visit perfectorganism.com. Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, please visit perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.